Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome. Uh, it's uh, a good night to be out in the midweek service here at First Baptist Ruston here. Uh, I was, it's funny, I was excited because when we were singing that song, I started thinking about uh, when I met my wife, <clears throat> Kelly, my bride. I was just thinking, and a uh, funny thought hit me. I remember standing there when she was getting ready to walk down the aisle, and I remember getting excited, and I remember my eyes started lighting up, and I started getting all fired up because here was somebody that I was courting, here's somebody that I was chasing after, and now it was no temporary courting no more once we got ready to get married. I got excited because I was saying to myself, we getting ready to be together forever. There ain't no more temporary. There's no more um, calling and sometimes getting off the phone and wanting to talk on the phone till 1 and 2 in the morning. And now we, 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 we're not uh, married yet. So you know how it is when you're courting the person you love. You can't stay on the phone as long as you want to. And I just remember just being excited going, this now is forever. It's not going to uh, be short and temporary. And, and as I got excited about that, as we were singing that song, thinking about my bride, that's, that's the power of what it is when we know Jesus and how he stepped in and rescued us. Amen. Amen. And he stepped in and he, 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 he said, no, I'm not just temporarily courting you. I'm, I'm not just doing this uh, for a short amount of time. I'm doing this for the long haul. And that thought alone uh, gets me excited. So I'm uh, excited to bring to y'all tonight the word that we're going to be talking about. And I just kind of want to focus on this one thought, um, that whatever we dwell upon will, will increase in our life. Whatever it is that we dwell upon will increase in our life. And uh, from Philippians chapter 3 and verses 12 through 14, this is how Paul brings it to us when he tells us uh, what it is about sometimes the things that we think about the most and what happens because of what we think about. He says it in verse 12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. And, and the more that I thought about that, and, and it's interesting because we have to look at it, the person, Paul, who's talking to us here in this text and what he's talking to us about. He, he uh, was writing to the Philippians. He was writing to the Philippian church and he wrote to them to encourage them. His, one of the main themes he deals with in this epistle that he writes to these beautiful people who were serving God was of joy. One of the main things that he focused on when he talked to the Philippians was that of joy, meaning that I have this eternal joy, this eternal knowledge of Jesus Christ that is far exceeding anything that I can feel. Because he was saying that joy was based on the knowledge that he had of Christ Jesus. So he's writing them and he's talking to them about having joy in every circumstance that you go through. He was saying, look, don't get discouraged when things get hard. 
He was saying focus and dwell upon the joy. He was saying uh, sometimes when, you know, when it feels like the relationships that you go through and sometimes on the job, 24-7, we're working every day, we're getting things done, and sometimes it gets frustrating. He's saying, don't, don't focus on that. He, was, he said, having joy means it's beyond what I see and feel, but it's what I understand and know. So this theme of joy, he had the right to, them, to encourage them because we already know that the church always was under persecution. The church was always going through trials because the church was growing. The church was uh, expanding and, and, and reaching people and doing wonderful things for God. So he had to write them to encourage them. Now I want you to think about that in our lives. Is that the things that we go through, what is it that we're going to focus on when it gets tough? What, is the thing, what are the things that we are focusing on when things around us seem like they're getting a little bit destructive? And it seems like the house is a little out of order. Sometimes it seems like uh, the relationships that we're in with the people that we know, sometimes it's going the other way. Or you might have a ministry God have laid on your heart, and that thing may not be expanding the way that you want it to. The question is, what are we going to dwell on in those times? Here it is. I, I wanted to encourage you to let you know about this guy, Paul. He actually, when he was writing this letter, he was locked up in jail. Now, here it is. He's, he's writing to them to encourage them in life and telling them to push forward and be more like Christ and do all these wonderful things for God. And he's locked up in prison. He's in jail. Oh, uh, they got a song by Akon that say, I'm locked up and they won't let me out. Well, this, this was Paul right here. He in prison. But he was free, though. He was free because of his relationship with Christ. Many, he was in a prison and was restricted to do some of the day-to-day -day things that we can do freely. But he was free because he knew who he was in Jesus Christ. And that was the source of his joy. He had no greater joy than knowing that one day he was going to be with Jesus forever. And if he died, it was still good because he would be with Jesus sooner. And he said, if I live, it's even better because I get to encourage all of the people that I love. So isn't that a great thought to think about? First point I wanted to bring to, to mind is in verse 12 is this thought about what we dwell on. And it, and it goes like this. Verse 12, who possesses us? directs us. This is the focus of what he's saying. He was saying Jesus Christ had a hold of him. Jesus Christ had captured him. And in that, in that capturing, what happened was even in war, when somebody went to a, and captured a certain city, when they captured that city, they were able to take everything that was in possession of that city. They were able to take all of the goods, all of the things that belonged to that city because the, they now had ownership of that city. And in this verse, in our lives, what we have to realize, what he's saying is when Jesus Christ has possession of us, he directs every step that we go. He was saying, no, it's not a temporary thing that I listen to him sometimes and sometimes I, I go the way that I want to go. He was saying, no, now Jesus Christ has ownership over me and now he has the rights to me and everything in me is for him. And, and that is the encouragement to say in life, in our day-to-day -day walk, does Jesus have possession of us in that way? 
Does he completely have a hold of our heart? To where every step that we're taking, he is the one leading us. Does he have every part of our soul and being to where everywhere we're going, he is the one that's in control. And Paul was encouraging him saying, look, Jesus took hold of me. And he was saying, because of that, I can't be the same. Because of that, I've got to go in the direction the Savior wants me to go. He was saying, because of that, there's an overflow of joy that we should have. And so that's why sometimes it's, 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 it's a passion thing that we, we know in our walk with God that sometimes wants to wane a little bit. Uh, sometimes our circumstance want us to just go through the motions. Am I right? That sometimes the circumstance, the things that we're going through tries to get us to just uh, exist instead of living fully for Christ, which is what we and who we live for. And, and that's the thrust of this thing. It's who possesses us, directs us. Uh, to bring your attention to verse 13, second point being when he says forgetting the past so that we focus on the future. Well, what, what does he mean here when he's speaking to us about forgetting the past? Is, Paul, is he suggesting that the things that we have went through, the hurt, the pain, some of the, the trials of our life, is he saying uh, that doesn't matter anymore, wasn't necessarily saying that. Uh, but what he was saying was forgetting in God's sight, as we know who our God is, God does not forget things in his conscience because we know that God knows everything. But in God's sight, when, when he forgets, it means he intentionally pushes it away. It, it meant that in God's sight, Paul was saying the way we focus on things in life, we have to learn that our past and the things that we've went through, we have to intentionally push those things to the side that are distracting us. We have to intentionally push those things away that are causing us harm. Sometimes you have to push some people away in your life that may be causing you harm and distraction because in order for you to move forward and go where God wants you to go in the future because he loves us, he cares about us, he's saying some things in our past we have to push away. And, and, and who, is it, who is it talking to us right now here? That, that's Paul. How, how could he say something like that to us, uh, First Baptist? How could he say just forget the past and move forward to the future. What, what happened in his life? Well, in his former life, Paul was persecuting the Christians. We, we, we understand that. He was killing Christians. This man was one of the people that held the stagecoach. Even in Acts chapter 7, when they stoned Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr, here it was, he was the first person that they mentioned that was holding that. Could you imagine what it felt like to, if you used to be killing those and persecuting those that now you are serving? My goodness, Paul was saying, if anybody had a reason to let the past hold them back, it would be me. Paul was saying it would be me who would not be able to serve Christ fully because of the things that I've done in the past and because of the person who I used to be. But it, in, in his sight, he said, no, I'm forgetting that which is behind me and I'm focusing on the future. Your greater is always better.
when we dwell and focus upon the things that God can do, some kind of way by his marvelous power, he wipes away those things that are in the past that tend to cause us to stop moving forward. And we have to get out the quicksand. All right. And this quicksand, I feel like I'm in quicksand because this earpiece is steadily uh, <laughs> as I'm trying to convey, but we're going to get it. Um, and so now that's, that's our focus, people of God, is, is to trust that what he has for us is greater than what's happened to us. It was always a matter of perspective. It wasn't about focusing on those things which had happened in the past. Verse 14, he says it like this. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize through God, which is in Christ Jesus. What was he, what was he saying to us right there? What, what was Paul really meaning for us in understanding what it meant? And vision is having the end goal in mind. And what I mean by that is when I played football at Gramlin back in the early 2000s, every year before we started the season, Coach would make an appeal to us. Coach Williams, he would talk to the team and he would say, guys, the championship is where we're headed. Before the season started, he'd say, look, this is where we're headed. We're going to the championship, which was in Birmingham. So the destination was set. Now the vision was already set. Now everything that happened, we had to backtrack even in the middle of the season when things got tough and and we were going through a few things and it felt like we may not get there. We could still focus on the end because it had been set forward for us and now all we had to do was march to the steps to get to where we were going. In this text when Paul is saying, look, everything that life has done to you, everything that's happened to you, all of the sum total of who you are, it still cannot add up and it still has no power according to the one who you're focusing on, which is Christ Jesus the Lord. Meaning that Christ was the highest thing, the heavenly call that all of us have in Christ Jesus is the highest thing that we can focus on. He was saying it in such a way he, he meant that our character in God was more important than our comfort in living. He was saying our character in the Lord outweighed everything that we go through when we focus on the inner being of who we are in Jesus to fix our focus so that when things start getting rocky, we still got a vision. It's still just a matter of perspective. It's still just a matter of looking in the right direction. And, and, the, and to give the stamp of approval to this, even in the Old Testament, when there was a story about the children of Israel and God gives us the whole description of what happened when they were crossing the, the waters and God did a mighty miracle for them. And he parted the waters and he told them it was a land that they were going to that they were going to have a promise where it was a better future for them. They would be in the land of Canaan. And all of us need to be able to focus on what our Canaan is. All of us in here, no matter what age or stage that we're in, we still need to be focusing on what our Canaan is. 
And, and in this story, we know when they came and was delivered from the Egyptians and, and they diabolical practices and they were getting ready to go into a land, God sent two spies and ten spies. The first ten spies that scouted out the land because they had to scout this land out and see if it was proper and ready for them to inhabit. Well, what happened was the first ten that went and scouted the land, they got there and they saw the people there and they come back with a report. And they say, oh my, have you looked at this land? It's giants there. And they were saying, it's, it's, it's not possible for us to take this land. They'll, they'll eat us alive. <laughs> they'll, they'll murder us before we even get started. And then there were two more spies that God sent. It was Caleb and it was Joshua. Numbers 14. And God says these words about who Caleb and Joshua were as what vision is and seeing the end. Caleb and Joshua, th their report was that, you know what? This land is ripe for the taking. We are supposed to go and inhabit this land because they were focused on the fact that God told them to do it and God sent them in that direction. And so in life, they were different. And the Bible says that they had a different spirit. And I'm encouraging us here tonight to remember that in our walk with God is that God has given you and me a different spirit. Meaning the only thing that's different about when you have vision is you see things different than the majority sees it. Is that we don't have to focus on the things that the majority focus on. We don't have to focus on the divisions. We don't have to focus on the schisms and the things that cause this division, but we are unified in him, so we focus on the things that he focuses on. And when we see it that way, God can do a mighty work in us and is going to continue to do a mighty work in us because we're all visionaries living to see things God's way. I want to show you a picture of, uh, and if somebody knows it, they can shout this out. Who knows who makes the most expensive vehicle that there is? Anybody, by any chance, knows before I uh, shout it out, the most expensive Rolls Royce. All right, I think I heard somebody say it. Somebody said Bugatti. All right, that car you see on that screen. And yes, it is live, everybody. It's nice. That car is a Bugatti. And it's made in France. And the guy who made this vehicle, Elmore Bugatti, who started it back in the early 1900s, that car is worth $1.5 million dollars as opposed to a Rolls Royce that's worth about $750,000, $800,000, which is, they're all expensive. This is a, yeah, it's pricey. Uh, I, whoever owned, and they only make 40 of these a year, 40 of these cars a year. The guy who started this, who made this vehicle, when he made it, he said he had a standard that he made it by. So when he started his company, he had something different in mind, but he had a standard that he made it by. What was the standard of Bugatti? 
that made it so special. He said he didn't just want to make a car. He said he wanted to touch culture. He wanted to touch the arts. And he wanted to touch the imagery of what it meant to know when you get in a vehicle, it's more to it than just driving. He wanted an experience for the people who drove the car that he drove, that he made. But here's the deal. He had a standard that he made it by. He said he wanted it to be extraordinary. He said he wanted it to be superlative. And he said he wanted it to be the best. And I got to thinking to myself, me and my father-in-law had to talk about it, and I got to thinking, my goodness, here's a man made a car worth $1.5 million. They only make 40 a year. The expectation alone behind that kind of car I wonder what goes into the making of it. And they show all of the ins and outs and the beauty and the time that it take and the hard work that it took to make the precision cuts that they had in the vehicle and the engine being a thousand horsepower and a 16.4 liter engine and all these beautiful things. And I got to thinking, he just had one Perfect standard, though. He said extraordinary, superlative, and best. It was a lot of models that was made after that first Bugatti, but there still was one standard. In our walk with God, in our walk in Jesus Christ, our union with him, when we become believers... We got to see this thing according to Philippians 4 and 13. When Paul said, in spite of all these things that I've gone through in life, in spite of all the things that we go through, in spite of even the sins that we've committed, even the things that we've done wrong, even the fact that we have fallen short of God's glory alone, he said he could do all things through Christ that strengthened him. He could do all things through Christ that strengthened him. What he was saying was, a lot of times when we lose focus in life, it's because we're focusing on the wrong standard. There's a lot of Buddhists. There's a lot of other religions. There's a lot of other things that you could choose from. To have a life that's full in God. But according to our word, according to what he said in us knowing him, there is only one standard for life and for perfection. And that he was extraordinary in the fact that he was God's only son. He was superlative in the fact that there was no superhero that you know that would go and die for the villain. Most of the time, superheroes are saving those that just need help. But Jesus is so much of a standard and such a perfect example that he even died for the villains in us that would do wrong. And he's saying, that's our standard. And last of not least, he said best. 
Meaning there is no one greater than Jesus Christ. There is nothing in our lives that we can go through that can be greater than loving Jesus. There is no one thing that can outweigh the goodness of Jesus Christ in us and through us as we walk through this life. And that, church, is our standard. He is. We're a lot of models. All of us can be models, but there's one standard. And you can do all things through Christ that strengthen you. I want you to pray with me. Gracious Father, we love you. God, we thank you for helping us to focus on you. For giving us your grace, giving us the the power and the strength, God, to focus on you. And in this sacred time, God, if you're laying on somebody's heart to take that step, God, would you lead them? Would you lead them to take that step and accepting the standard that you are of perfection, accepting the, the perfect model that you are? You grant us salvation that you are the one that made us into your image and you gave us the ability. You you help us, God, to be born again. If that's someone, God, would you give them strength, God, to make that decision in trusting you? God, thank you for continuing to strengthen us and give us your love. Give us your grace as we experience more of you. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Together we say, amen. Amen. As, uh, as Wayne keeps playing, if, you, if, you've never, if you've never made that step to trust in, in Jesus Christ, the perfect standard for your salvation, for the things that you may couldn't make up for and the stuff that you've probably done that you know you needed that perfect standard to save you and you never trusted Jesus and believed and accepted the grace that is in Christ Jesus if that's you would you come forward if that's you as we stand as we stand together